Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording this week's show on Friday, April 29, 2022. And Drew, you were just mentioning that you, you had done a 22-hour in and out from Las Vegas for CinemaCon, right? Yeah, it was I was probably closer to 24, but yeah, it was it was another kind of like run and gun. I think we left on Wednesday at 2 and got back around 6 on Thursday, so it was a lot. It was a lot. Well, speaking of a lot, I saw what you tweeted out about Top Gun Maverick, and it obviously in the weeks ahead this is going to be a huge topic for you and Charles over on your Light Diffuse podcast. But you actually tweeted out that this is the best film of the year. And this was not hyperbole on Drew's part because there's a whole bunch of people who... Yeah. Well, first of all, just the stories about grown men weeping at this screening and like well, applause breaking out like 12 different times and all these yes. people sending out tweets about how emotional the movie was. And I didn't expect that... For a sequel to a movie that was made back in 86? Yeah, it is the best audience movie you could ever hope for. So try to find the most packed theater. I don't know how busy movie theaters get in the woods of New Hampshire, Jim. Mm-hmm. But well, find I mean, the you, biggest, you, the loudest, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah, it's great. It's just so great. I'm honestly embarrassed that I'm just now realizing who the director of this, Joseph Kaczynski, Mr. Tron Legacy? Yep, Tron Legacy, and uh, he made Oblivion, which was originally a movie called Horizons that's that right, Disney that's was right. going to make. Okay, and he actually told me one time that the Horizons name was pushed on him by Disney as a weird tie-in to the long beloved uh, Epcot attraction, even though it's been gone. Oh, uh, that's yeah, nuts. Yeah, so he and he also directed this really great firefighter movie called Only the Brave. Did you ever see that, Jim? I did not. I did. It's wonderful. Anyway. This movie is great, and it has all of the, the things you would expect from a Kaczynski movie, kind of very mathematical mm-hmm. camera movements. But it is a really emotional movie, and yeah, everyone was just sobbing at the end. Like, you could just hear, even when people with masks, it was just like, the sniffles were coming oh. out. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. So I recommend everybody go see it. CinemaCon is an event where exhibitors come to Vegas to check out films that they're going to run at the theaters. This is the toughest crowd on the planet. I mean, these guys don't care really about movies. They just care about, are people going to come and are they going to buy overpriced soda and popcorn? And so the fact that it made them weep, that's huge. Yeah, Lenny, Lenny, who runs a small chain of uh, theaters in the coastal Connecticut region, he was cracking up and and crying just as much as anybody else. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty... It's pretty wonderful. I can't wait for everybody to see it. It comes out at the end of May, and it's just going to make a gazillion, bagillion dollars. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I'm so glad to hear that. And again, it, as Drew was mentioning, Top Gun Maverick opens in theaters May 27th. Okay, lots of news this week, folks, and a lot of it coming out of CinemaCon. And as always, the news portion of Fine Tuning is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, back to CinemaCon. We learned some interesting things about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1. Well, actually, it's not. It's just called Across... 
the Spider-Verse now, right? Because the, the second that's one right, got a That's right. Change, that's right? the other news that came out of this event. We now have a, a title for the second sequel, and that's Beyond the Spider-Verse? Yes, Beyond the Spider-Verse, which hits on March 29th, mm-hmm. 2024. It's very interesting because... Those movies lost the part one, part two, and that we were introduced to the Mission Impossible titles, which now will have part one and part two. <laughs> which, so, listen, what I'm trying to say, Jim, is there is a season turn, turn, turn. <laughs> uh, oh, and, and uh, while we're at that, uh, the Mission Impossible, what, I read it today, but I'm blanking it. What, what, Dead Reckoning Part One. There we go. Okay. Yeah. And the initial bit of news coming out of, about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and beyond the Spider-Verse was Chris Miller and Phil Lord were talking about a thousand people working on this movie, six universes, and there were going to be 240 characters in the film. And uh, you did see where Chris Miller tweeted out, do you want to clarify, out of the 240 characters, most of those are background. <laughs> you know, it's not like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're going to sit there with your, your bingo card. Yeah, it's it's background character. I think it's because you know they they were talking about how every universe has such a completely different look. Oh yeah, and yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so you can't put one character from one universe into another universe without drastically changing them, even if it's the cabbie you know driving down the street. So apparently, they showed the first fifteen minutes in they storyboard did. form. They did, yeah. and uh, I guess it starts in Gwen Stacy's world. Really talked it up. In fact, five minutes in, Oscar Isaac's character, the voice he's voicing, Miguel O'Hara, shows up from his universe, and it's just right from the get-go, you are in this multiverse story. But speaking of other animated films that are getting their release days changed, what do you make of Puss in Boots' The Last Wish getting pushed back from, what was it? it, was supposed to be September this year to now December 21st? Well, I talked to somebody who saw it last week or a couple of weeks ago, and they they were really impressed with how mm-hmm. how great it was. It was I don't think it's totally finished, but it's pretty close. Okay. So, it's not a crisis of conscience, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I think it just has to do with the other news, which mm-hmm. is that Super Mario Brothers has been pushed to April seventh, twenty twenty three. So, yeah, they just needed something to fill that spot, right? I've heard kind of an intriguing bend on why that got pushed out to April 7th of next year. Because in March of this year, they announced that Super Nintendo World at Universal Studios Hollywood is opening in 2023. And basically what I'm being told is this is not a coincidence that the April opening has been pushed to that point. Evidently, this is... Planets align sort of a super promotional event that the movie, in fact, I guess the movie post-premiere party will be held inside of Super Nintendo World, and evidently they're going to use the film to push the land and the land to push the film, so... Yeah, I can imagine that the junket will be there also. Yeah. Okay, so we got to get you into... How dynamic will those interviews be, Jim, when there's a, a, you know... Things animated behind it. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. But the weird part of it is, is so many people now, when they stand up, you know, on the hillside and are peering down into Super Nintendo, they, it's small, it's tiny, it's itty bitty, and it's like, no, it's immersive. When you're inside of it and you're surrounded, it's it will look cool. No Donkey, don't Donkey Kong though. No Donkey Kong, not yet. Though the, Japan is supposed to get that right. 
Yes, and I think uh, Epic Universe, too. Yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. cool. But speaking of movies debuting, DreamWorks The Bad Guys opened in theaters this past weekend. Basically good news all the way around the barn. Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a freshness rating of 87%, audience rating of 93%. So do seem very, very happy that it sold 23.9 million worth of tickets in North America. Did you see it? I have not, not yet. Have you seen on Twitter how many people want to have sex with the fox or whatever it is, the wolf? <laughs> Have you seen that? It's a, <laughs> I it's have, a, I have it's a widespread phenomenon, I will say that. Which brings us to what we'll be talking about on the second half of today's show, which is Bugs Money and Drag. Yes. But back to the bad guys. Currently at $92 million worldwide in ticket sales. Sure to slide past the blockbuster barrier sometime this weekend. But exhibitors seem very happy, especially when you consider, given that we're still in that space where there isn't really a vaccine yet officially for kids, but family films seem to be coming back. Yeah. Which brings us to the the next big family film that people seem to be excited about, which, of course, is Lightyear, which you have seen a, a very big chunk of. Yes. But they showed a half hour's worth of it at Comic-Con. By the way, I, I wanted to show you, Drew, on last week's show, you mentioned that, well, Jim, have you gone to Target? Have you gotten your socks? And it's like, it's right here. I have very advanced capabilities. So <laughs> it's the plush that says 20 different things. Oh, wow. With Peter Somm's voice. And I've been meaning to line up all of our Disney and Pixar related plush and get that image out there on Twitter, but... Literally had to search the targets in our area and request that they said one aside for us. So, um, <laughs> But thank you. Thank you for the heads up. We, we got that. Speaking of giving folks a head up, this literally came in from Stuart Ng's uh, bookstore in Torrance, California, just today. They are currently accepting pre-orders on The Art of Lightyear. The first printing of this book is going to be signed by Angus McLean and Peter Sohn. Never heard of him. Never heard Never of that guy. And no. supposedly Angus, who worked at Pixar since, good Lord, A Bug's Life, is supposedly particularly pleased with how this art of book came together. Those two are definitely going to be signing the book. They're trying to get other folks who worked in the film lined up. It's going to hit store shelves on May 7th. Or excuse me, May 17th. You want to see what I got, Jim? Oh, Do you want to see what I what? Oh, look at what don't I don't hurt. Hey! Oh my God! Wow! I have ordered a copy of that. The Disney Revolt. That's not out till July, right? Yeah. Uncorrected proof. We can't. So I, I won't be quoting directly from it. But oh. I am so excited. Um, and I reached out to the Don Bluth people today, so hopefully they'll get back to us. Holy his. cow! Yeah. For those of you who don't know, the the Disney Revolt. What's cool about this? is it's supposedly the first definitive history of the strike in 41, right? Mm-hmm. The Great Labor War of Animation's Golden Age. And obviously, if people have been paying attention to anything going on right now, the IOTC stuff, all the problems at Netflix. There you go. I mean, again, Jim, there is a season turn, turn, <laughs> turn, and we are back, back there. An essential piece of Disney history that has largely been unreported for 80 years. How about that? I remember talking with Floyd Norman about this and the topic of why isn't there a book yet? And Floyd said, look, the anger from who crossed the picket line, who was out on the picket line, 
it crossed generations. It was one of these things where kids were basically taught to hate the kids of the animators who, you know, so it's like when you think about how many animators kids went into the business as well. And Floyd was like, you literally have to wait for a bunch of people to die before you can tell this story because yeah. the emotions are still that strong. There are so many people who legitimately felt betrayed by friends and colleagues who either crossed the line or those who stood out in the picket line. So, no, die to read that book. Yes, I'll let you know if I can get to it. I will let you know. Cool, 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 what, cool, cool. We'll, we'll, I'm, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in, in July, obviously, right. as well. Um, yes. Oh, and as long as we're... You know, waving things back and forth, which no one can see because this is a podcast, not a vlog. But I did get my copy of The Art of Bad Guys. Oh, I'm so jealous. I've been told there is one set aside for me. Oh, well. In Alhambra, so I have to go grab it. Go to Gallery Nucleus. Go to Gallery Nucleus. Okay. As long as we're talking about art books and, and that sort of thing, having just heard about the new Leica project, The Night Gardener, really hoping that this one gets an art book as well. Can you talk about this one? Yeah, I mean, it is a project that is being written by Ozark co-creator Bill Dubuque, Mm -hmm. uh, and it is an original idea that is described as a gritty neo-noir folktale Mm -hmm. centered on a young man in rural um, Missouri Mm -hmm. who's fighting to keep his family together in the wake of a tragedy. Mm It will be an unflinching portrait of sacrifice, self-reliance, and revenge, and the image that they released, which the publicist told me was was toiled over by what she called the lichens, which I have never heard before and I think is extremely awful. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's like, you know, some kind of like rose petals and a very generous splattering of blood. So I think this will be the first R-rated Leica film. That is my prediction. And the other thing I think significant here is Wildwood is in production right now at Leica. And... Is this the first time Leica sort of, in a while, that Leica's made it themselves aware or the world aware that, oh, by the way, we're working on this and we have a second project, a second stop motion project in the the pipeline? Yeah. they We used to know that pretty regularly and then they kind of stopped. But what's interesting, too, is that Travis Knight uh, is directing both, which I think is really fascinating. Thank you for bringing that up because wasn't it last year that Netflix announced he was going to be directing... Uprising, a live-action vampire film for them? Yes. I don't know, Jim. I don't know if you've read anything about Netflix in the news uh, (laughs) recently. (laughs) We'll see if that actually happens. (laughs) I stand corrected, folks. I stand (laughs) corrected. We'll see. Listen, it's always good to have a backup, and I think that maybe he's he's figured out a way of working live-action and also doing the animated projects at the same time. Well, speaking of future projects, just today... At Disney's California Adventure, Disney Junior held its second annual Disney Junior Fun Fest, which, again, given that that's the theme, this is the theme park that has the Disney Junior Dance Party uh, attraction in the Hollywood Land section of that theme park. So it's like, okay, it makes sense that they'd hold a special event there. But but they announced uh, four new series that are debuting on Disney Plus and Disney Junior through 2024. But I'm just kind of intrigued. To see Disney doing this now, again, another sign that in Disney's eyes, at least, the pandemic is over. Did you see the, it's a month-long series of things they're doing, the LCAP, the FYC presentations for your consideration? 
No, I mean, I know that we're just as as we're getting out of the Oscars, we're we're knee deep in Emmy mm-hmm. um, stuff. So, well, that's a thing. Yeah, that I doesn't mean, surprise me. A, a day, yeah. a, a, it's like literally three solid weeks of things like presentation. I mean, they'll they'll hold panels inside of the El Cap, and then evidently there'll be parties afterwards over at the Roosevelt Hotel. But it's celebrating shows like Blackish, which just finished its run on ABC, but. Also, uh, only murders in uh, this building, which you know, season two debuting in June, but on and on and on. But only a Disney can like come to our press event at California Adventure or come to our, our press event at El Cap. But back to the Disney Junior news, uh, they announced the renewal of Alice's Wonderland Bakery, as well as the launch dates for the next season of Eureka and Spidey and his amazing friends, uh, which uh, the next season drops in August. And then, of course, we have the Mickey Mouse Funhouse Pirate Adventure. Did you you see this news where John Stamos is voicing not only Iron Man for Spidey and his amazing friends, but also, I swear to God, folks, this is a real name, Captain Salty Bones on the uh, Mickey Mouse Funhouse Pirate Adventure? It's clearly Disney adhering to Jeffrey Katzenberg's old playbook i mean john stamos now has his three-year-old son billy and whenever a celebrity would have a child jeffrey would write that down put that information in his rolodex and then would wait till the child got three or four years old and then reach out to that celebrity with the offer to appear in a, a disney animated film that, for example, is supposedly how he got Demi Moore to do the voice of Esmeralda. I think rumor was just the right age that, you know, oh, mom's going to be in a Disney animated film. And celebrities who were that much weaker at that position, they, they had a harder time saying no to Disney because it's like, I can show this movie at home to my kids. Right. <laughs> when you make G.I. Jane or, or that sort of thing, you th- precious few of your films you can actually show your kids. But... But Jeffrey would would get Listen, them to commit. Jim, hmm? don't talk about GI Jane. Jim. <laughs> that's that's been a trigger for too much violence already. There, there we you go. Okay. I mean? All right, I stand corrected. Also, <laughs> coming out of this Disney Junior presentation, they're doing some more short form stuff. There's a Me and Mickey where it's it's Mickey talking with preschoolers about things like their daytime and, and nighttime routines or how to pack a backpack and. On the other hand, I'm kind of intrigued to see they're bringing back Winnie the Pooh. It's going to be a musical short-form series with Pooh and his friends in the Hundred Acre Woods. And forgive me, folks, this is a terrible transition, but we're going from Piglet's pal to the Joker's former paramour. Well, before we do that, Jim, did you see that like that on in the Star Wars celebration schedule that they kind of reveal that there is a short-form preschool-aged series that they're going to be talking about. Uh, is that still tied to the... Remember, we, I think we talked about the Galactic Pals, the I Ewok. I don't know and if... This is yeah, the, it, I don't know if it's that, but it, it I, I'll find the listing, but it was just very funny because they hadn't announced this project yet, whatever it is, and then it just shows up on the schedule <sighs> for celebration. You gotta... I mean, but it, it's again, you gotta love all these carefully hatched, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna announce on this date, and then somebody, you know, slips something into a schedule and thinking, and, and there goes your story. And there it is. There we go. Yeah. But back to back to Joker's former paramour. Well, Harley Quinn, uh, we, we have a third season of the Great Animated Series. However, it, it's since moved over to HBO Max with season three debuting this summer. 
But HBO Max also picked up a spinoff of Harley Quinn called Noonan's. Have yes. you watched enough Harley Quinn to, to know about Kite Man? Yes, of course. Oh, well, all right, then. You know, and his new girlfriend, you know, because, again, things didn't quite work out with, with, with uh, it was Poison Ivy he was after, right? Well, yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of a, he's not the, the <laughs> brightest bulb. Well, there we go. All right. right. But he and his new squeeze, Golden Glider, have bought a bar, Noonan's. And in order to keep it, uh, and this is described as Gotham City's seediest dive bar. And in order to keep the place afloat, they must, you know, go out and, and do all sorts of crimes. But yeah, HBO has, has picked up the show for 10 episodes. And who knows, it could could be as successful as the Despicable Me films, which, uh, getting back to CinemaCon, uh, we had Steve Carell, Turn up there to hype Minions, The Rise of Gru, which arrives in theaters on July 1st. And you weren't there for this one. I mean, you, you just ran in to do Paramount, right? Or Yeah, so I wish I had been there for the Universal one because it sounded like a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, they kind of, they paired the celebrities with theater owners, which I thought was really nice. Steve came on stage with Everard Allen. He's the general manager of the Cineplex Winston Churchill Theater from Oakville, Ontario, up in Canada. And while on stage, Steve gave Everard lessons in how to do the voice of Gru. Evidently, the secret is you have to pitch your voice up a little higher. And as a thank you for going on stage with him, evidently the team at Illuminations had actually put together some animation of, of Mr. Allen, which I, I thought was kind of cool. Again, I'm so jealous that you got to go to CinemaCon because we, we were actually talking about doing this together earlier this year. Though yes. We, just a quick side note, because you managed to do this and your mom's 70th uh, birthday celebration in Nebraska. How did that go? Yes, it was it was great. Yeah, I've been all over Jim and I'm and I'm thankfully <laughs> just did my COVID test and I'm negative. So, you know, keep rolling that dice, Jim, because nobody's wearing a mask anywhere I in know. this country. I know. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I have to wonder on Monday night when they did that New York Pops uh, fundraiser at Carnegie Hall. You know, how many folks were wearing masks? Because this one, I really wish I'd gotten to. This was a concert, folks. The For the first time in forever, the songs of Kirsten and Bobby Lopez. And this fundraiser was originally planned back for a spring of 2020. And at that point, it was called Into the Unknown. And two years later, Bobby Lopez describing this event, look, we've had enough unknown. You know, and so now it's, you know, for the first time in forever. And... A uh, friend of the show, Josh Gad, was there with Andrew Reynolds and, and Nikki M. James. They did three songs from the Book of Mormon. They brought back original cast members for Avenue Q. Likewise, uh, performed numbers from Coco, Frozen, and Frozen 2. I think the big question that both of us would have asked is, like, so any music from Gigantic? Yeah. But I've been looking all over online. I haven't found anybody who's gone to the concert yet and talked about what they saw or what they heard. Or perhaps Josh will fill us in. Yes. Speaking of D Disney and Pixar-related stuff, when we get back from this break, Drew will share what he learned from Eric Goldberg and Mark Henn about Disney Plus's new sketchbook series. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, you, you interviewed Mark Henn and Eric Goldberg. Yes. And you've talked to these guys a number of times over the past 10, 15 years or thereabouts. Yes. What was different this time around? Well, you know it was different, Jim. They've got this new program that they're working on that is for 2D projects. Wow. And they were both very excited. Also, mm-hmm. it was the first time I had talked to Mark since I had rewatched the episode of Full House where mm-hmm. he teaches Dave Coulier how to draw. (laughs) So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I had to bring that up to him. So it's a, that, that's a pretty funny chat. You know, both of these guys are just so open Mm -hmm. and so funny and so knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and have zero ego about them, even though they are two of the most amazing artists of our generation. So, you know, it was just, you know, sitting down with those two, it's just, you know, it's a very casual mm-hmm. kind of warm conversation. So it was it was just nice to catch up, you know, like you remember this, like, you know, I was going down to the, stu- the animation studio. It felt like once a week before the pandemic and then it, for yeah. two years to not be there. So it was fun. I, you know, they decorated a hallway that looked like Encanto. So just the whole thing of being there was really, mm-hmm. really lovely. And um I love Sketchbook. Did you did you watch the episodes? It is on my list for this weekend in addition to getting out to see bad guys. Okay. Drew really does have a lot of self-control. It may not seem like it, but but Drew does because I, I can remember how far back were you telling me about Chippendale's Rescue Ranger and the whole Dale has had the CG operation and Chip has not. I mean, you knew about that two years ago? at least a year and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. So after hearing about this project for so long and the whole conceit, what did you think of of the trailer that dropped this week for it? I thought it was fun. I will say that that gag where Pumbaa and and Seth Rogen interact, Mm -hmm. that is not the only Seth Rogen-voiced character that you will see in that scene. Really? And more and more people are starting to see this movie, too, so I'm getting all of these kind of like, mm-hmm. you'll never believe who was in the background of this one scene. So I think it's very good that it's coming to Disney+, Plus because we're all going to be freeze-framing mm-hmm. and trying to figure out who is in this mm-hmm. thing, because it is going to be... It's going to be wild. I cannot wait. Given how Peter Pan looks in the trailer, that must have been a very interesting conversation, especially given, what, uh, Peter and Wendy, right? Yeah. I think I think that he has gone through a little bit of a change. We will, we will talk about uh, how this movie changed during production when it comes out. Okay. Because I want to see if the things that I was told mm-hmm. early on actually pan out in the final version so okay. okay yeah we this is put let's put a pin in that jim and we will come back to peter pan okay we will we will yeah and folks i so wanted to be able to do a transition here where i said speaking of rodents but it turns out that the class rodentia does not in fact 
in fact, include rabbits. Rabbits are different than rodents because they have an extra set of incisors and different skeletal features. So uh, there's your bizarre fact for the day. But, but Drew, you brought up Bugs Bunny was trending on Twitter, right? Yeah, this is actually the number one story on the rap right now, which is really something. I wrote about it earlier today. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ron DeSantis, who is obviously me and Jim's, uh, you know, political hero. Here we go. Brought up. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said something to the effect of mm. one of the things that really bugged me are these videos with all these people that are high up at Disney talking about how it was their intention to inject sexuality into the programming for these very young kids, which, of course, is a complete fantasy that mm. I, don't, I don't know what he was. Maybe he, had a, he ate a hoagie before bed or something. <laughs> uh, when we were young, he says, you could watch cartoons without having to worry. Now parents have to sit there and worry about. What are they trying to inject in? What kind of ideology are they trying to pursue? And that is wrong. And so immediately, because Twitter, at least for the next few days, is a very (laughs) amazing place. And they immediately jumped on the fact that canonically Mm -hmm. Bugs Bunny is actually trans or non-binary. And I thought we could talk about that tonight because I think that is just such a cool little detail and it and and how it was adopted let's say to by Chuck Jones well yeah i mean it, the weird part of it is that the character wasn't even called bugs bunny officially it, it was the third cartoon with the the rabbit character one for the first time he dressed up as a female character. Uh, this was uh, Harem Scarum, uh, released in August of 39. But yeah, the, this, it wasn't a bug. It was a feature of the character. I mean, yes. bugs constantly cross-dressed. And, and in such a convincing fashion, you know, virtually every male character he came up against when he was dressed as a lady immediately wanted to have him. I actually tonight went and checked prior to the show. Bugs dressed in drag 43 times over the course of his career. Four times in 1945, five times in 1949. And the very last time they had him put on female clothing in a short that was animated at the Termite Terrace was Dr. Devil and Mr. Hare, which was 1964. So think about it. That's... 20 solid years of them. I mean, this was a a, a gag in the Warner Brothers repertoire. You've read Chuck Amuck, mm-hmm. right? His yep. book. Mm-hmm. And so there's an anecdote in there about how he was confronted with this in the 80s during the kind of like, you know, this it was during the, I'm sure, the burgeoning of the AIDS mm-hmm. crisis mm-hmm. and LGBTQ and trans activists came, you know, started using Bugs Bunny and he t- ended up talking to them and they explained it, and he said, okay. But, I mean, I, we, we won't use the terminology that he used because I think it was a little outdated, but he said, okay, but Bugs is trans or, or non-binary as we would know it today. And, uh, you know, he talks about how he was based on Loki, who is a kind of trickster god figure in Norse mythology, and how they were all kind of non-binary. And it's just amazing that he made that leap. Like, he wasn't young. He was towards the end of his life in the 80s, too. It's not like it was a young, hip guy saying, yeah, Bugs is trans now. He was, you know, older and took a lot of consideration at this. And I just think it's so amazing. I agree. 
I agree. But this was so accepted, you know, a part of who Bugs Bunny was, what made the character special and fun and hilarious. In fact, in Looney Tunes Back in Action, there's an interchange, an exchange between Warner Brothers uh, VP Kate Houghton, the, the, the character that Jenna Elfman played, and she's talking with Bugs about how they could possibly revamp his career. And so Kate says, we'll team you up with a hot female code star. And, and Bugs says, well, usually I play the female love interest. And Kate <laughs> says, about the cross-dressing thing, in the past, funny, today, disturbing. And Bugs' response is just right on the money. It's like, lady, if you don't find a rabbit in a lipstick amusing, you and I have nothing to say to each other. And Looney Tunes back in action, not the greatest film on the planet, but, but at the same time, animation by, I get a supervised by Eric Goldberg, live action by Joe Dante, and miles better than Space Jam, A New Legacy. And for me, yes. the, the movie's worth it alone for the scene where Elmer chases Bugs and Daffy in and out of the paintings at the Louvre. Yes, yes. Personal favorite moment for the movie is when Steve Martin's character, the, the Mr. Chairman from the Acme Corporation, has too many remotes in his desk and can't figure out which one he has to use to set his evil plot in motion. I mean, it's a gag Martin does like three and four times during the movie, and each time, you know, it, it's it's funnier to me. And by the way, while we're talking about things that are trending on Twitter, the whole Steve Martin isn't funny thing that that bubbled up this week. I miss. I think I missed that. But I, before we get into Steve Martin isn't funny, mm-hmm. I just want to say that I also found an interview with RuPaul today, and he said that Bugs Bunny introduced him to drag. So oh. I just want to say to DeSantis, well, who's so worried about corrupting children with new <sighs> cartoons, the old cartoons corrupted us too. Yes, so yes, there they you go. Did. I love that Bugs paved the way for RuPaul. That's great. That's yes, great. yes. Wait, what happened? What is, why are millennials saying Steve Martin isn't funny? Somebody found a version of the King Tut song. And it just sort of looked, this was a hit song on radio and people thought this was funny. You know, I, I don't get this. And it was like, well, first of all, you're looking at an edited version of a Saturday Night Live skit. And there's this lovely like two and three minute lead in where Steve is doing his his faux irate thing about the King Tut exhibit that was touring the United States at that point. And, you know, here our Americans are, you know, of course, cashing in and they're making coffee cups and T-shirts and posters of this this historical figure, and, you know, that we should be celebrating these integrities and not cashing in on them. And I was so angry, I wrote a song. And, and then it leads into, of course, the don't think I'm a nut, don't want no fancy funeral, just like one like old King Tut. It's a particularly funny number if it has the right lead in. But at the same right. time, it's Steve Martin. And as Bugs just said, if if you don't find Steve Martin amusing, you and I have nothing to say to one another. Yes. Oh, speaking of which, though, worth noting here, season two of Only Murders in the, uh, this building starts on June 28th. So, okay, top of the show, we were talking, obviously, about Top Gun Maverick and how much you enjoyed that. And likewise... Did you get to see any of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning at the event? Or? Yeah, there's a new trailer, and it is out of this world. We have an episode up already right now about the really? trailer and Top Gun. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah, The trailer is amazing, Jim. It's just it, – it's fallout to the nth degree. Oh. I mean, it's just insane. Okay, so brand new episode out. Is this about having seen Top Gun Maverick? or, or? Yes, it's a, it's a spoiler-free – look at Top Gun Maverick. I'll say that. All right. Yeah. 
again, you could have followed along with Drew's adventures and be, been among the first to read about Top Gun Maverick being you know, one of the, uh, the best film of the year if you were following on social media. So can you tell folks how, how they can do that? Sure. Uh, it's Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt on Instagram and Twitter. Tell you what, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Fine Tuning, but also uh, Light Diffuse, that would be very helpful. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, that would be cool. And uh, Drew is just mentioning social media, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media, and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And folks, we are going to close the show down now because Drew needs to go lie down. I know. I have to get up tomorrow and go to the Doctor Strange. Well, no, that's it exactly. So. I mean, you, you get in five minutes of sleep before you you have to go talk about you know what's going on with the MCU. So yeah. Uh, so many multiverses, Jim. So it's many multiverses. All right. Well, thanks for listening, folks. And we will be back with a brand new episode next week.